The glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory lane to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and beyond. Mm. Kyle Leone here, your host for another week, and what a week it is. Mm. I'm drinking a Barks root beer right now, and that makes me think about movie theaters. Even when I was a little kid, I used to think of myself as a root beer connoisseur back in the day, and I would uh, famously be able to tell the difference between if you gave me a few Dixie cups, I could tell you which one was Barks, which was A&W, which was Mug, which was Dad's, which was IBC, and so on. But Barks always held a special place in my heart just because it made me feel like I was at the movie theater. And I'm drinking it right now, and it reminds me of going to the movie theater. <sighs> yeah, it's tasty. Too bad I couldn't see this movie in theaters. Today I'm talking... Well, it's, uh, it's not Halloween anymore. It's November, so all of the Halloween movies that premiered last week I'm finally getting to. And instead of doing the Witches remake with Anne Hathaway and all that, no, no, instead I'm doing a very, very different movie that I discovered pretty randomly, and I'm finding a lot of people kind of discovered it the same way. It went on Netflix on October 30th, the day before Halloween, and without much fanfare, and it was the recommended thing, you know, it was like, oh, top trending on Halloween, and so I was sitting there on Halloween night thinking, well, I have to watch a horror movie, and so I was flipping through Netflix, and I didn't get very far, because like I said, it was one of the, like, top-listed new items, and the logline sounded good, and it was something I hadn't seen before, and it was a horror movie with black people, which I'm always trying to support these days, and I'm trying to see more of. And it blew me away, so <laughs> I decided I had to do it for the podcast. So this week I am doing His House, the brand new movie on Netflix uh, that premiered about like three days ago as of this recording. But um, if you haven't seen it yet, don't worry. It's brand new, and it feels kind of weird to be doing it this way. It feels more freeing because I I know that not a ton of people have seen it, and so not a ton of people have talked it to death and analyzed it much better than I could and it's it's now I feel like I'm an authority because I was the first one I wasn't the first one but you know I I saw it pretty recently so if you haven't seen it I highly highly recommend it Um, I'm not going to spoil my rating but it is a it is a great movie why don't we get just right into it thank you for coming to the gory days Kyle Leone your host for another week like I said and uh, I don't know if you heard, but I was on another person's podcast. I was on, um, I think it's the Scrub Hub or Scrub Club. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> I don't know the name of your podcast that I was on. But I was on a friend of mine's uh, podcast. We were doing the Hatchet series. Um, but I only saw Hatchet 3. That was the one that I was assigned to watch. And that was fun. But man, this guy, he does this thing in the beginning. You know how I like put all of my, oh, and follow me at this. And you can find me on this. And you should listen to this. He puts all of that at the beginning of his episode, which I think is a great idea. Like, <laughs> you should put it where you know people are listening instead of where you know people are starting to, like, leave and tune out. I mean, who's really waiting to hear me say, stay scary out there? Like, once I'm done talking about the movie, you're out of here. I get it. So he puts it in the beginning. But he does it in, like, this shock jock, like, 
I, I don't know if you're listening, man, but you 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 just like barrel through it in in a, in a speed that no one could understand a word you're saying, dude. But your co-host like knows apparently like little cues, like he says like home and stuff like that. Anyway, you should go check out that uh, latest episode I did about the Hatchet movies, um, or just check out his podcast. That's great. But let's get down to the movie His House. Directed and written by Remy Weeks in his feature film directorial debut. But I, I am impressed for what it's worth. Uh, I mean, his short film Tickle Monster had a U.S. premiere at South by Southwest way back in 2017. And before that, he was doing shorts and commercial campaigns. So to go from that and whatever he was doing between 2017 and now to a Netflix distributed film, very impressive. And Regardless of who distributed it, this is a great movie. I really like the themes. So let's get right into it with how the heck this movie got made. It's very new, so there isn't a ton of uh, research to be done. Honestly, I found more information in some of the like interviews that he's had than <laughs> my usual go-tos. Uh, so let's see. This was developed by the British production company Starchild Pictures, uh, run by a couple of UK. I'm not going to read their names. Who do I care who these producers are? But it was filmed in Tilbury in Essex, uh, UK, which apparently is a popular zone for um, asylum seekers. And if it's not like the most popular, it's an existing area in the UK where they'll often send uh, immigrants who are awaiting visas or citizenship or however it works over there. But then they recreate, so they scouted the locations and they found this uh, street in Tilbury, but then they recreated the set of the house in West London. And then it premiered at Sundance uh, in January of this year, way back before the world fell apart in 2020. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm reading January 27th, 2020. That was this year and it feels like a million years ago. And then it was finally released, as I said, on October 30th, 2020 to much acclaim by me. Now that we got all of that context out of the way, let's get to the next segment, which is what the hell just happened? So the movie His House, without spoiling anything now, <laughs> but I will in the next few sentences, is about two refugees, Bol and Rial, a husband and wife from South Sudan, who are fleeing their war-torn country for the safety of England. And on the way there, during their immigration, they had to sail across the ocean to cross the Mediterranean Sea. The boat that they were on capsized and they lost their daughter, Nyagak. And so in the process of them coming to the UK, coming to, the UK to escape their, their deadly home life, they lost their daughter in the process. And so now here they are in the UK, hoping that life will give them a fresh start here. And unfortunately, the house that they move in, in addition to being a sty, <laughs> has a monster in it, a ghost. Um, let's just get straight to it. Here's the deal. The evil entity in this movie is known as an apath, which is so cool. I love learning about other cultures, um, urban legends and mythological creatures and how like their societal values have come through in the forms of these creatures and these myths. So this one in particular is a cautionary tale essentially about stealing. Their house is possessed or they're possessed by an apath or night witch. And so the best summarization of what this thing is uh, comes in the form of a monologue by Rial. 
um, who basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but she explains that there was a, a, a man, an honorable but poor man who lived in their village and who wanted to own a home more than anything. So he stole, he stole to get his home. And unfortunately, one of the people he stole from was an Apeth, or night witch, which he didn't know about. So when he built his home, when the thief built his home, he didn't know that the Apeth would live there too. And before long, as she says, the walls would whisper the spells of the Apeth. From the shadows, the dead would come. The Apeth would not stop until he had consumed the man entirely. Ooh, so... You know, take that as you will. I'll be deconstructing him a little bit later in the Screaming Themies. So Rial figures out what this thing is instantly. She's like, oh, I know what this is. It's an opath. But Bull refuses to accept it. He thinks it's um, he thinks it's a curse, and he thinks it'll pass. He thinks if he just ignores it, it'll go away. And slowly but surely, he's convinced, until eventually the opath presents itself to Bull in this really cool sequence where, like, the kitchen goes away. And offers him a deal but they don't really say what the deal is and we're left to go like oh well what what is it what did they steal and so they reveal in flashback that while they were escaping while bowl and rial were escaping south sudan there was a bus that they needed to board but it would only let people on who had children and so desperate bowl abducted nyagak who was standing next to her and said that it was that she was his daughter, and they let them on the bus. And Nyagak's real mom was outside of the bus, looking for her, screaming for her, and almost surely was murdered. And and that's what they stole from the Apath. So now that they've finally faced the reality of their actions, they accept the deal, and the deal ends up being Bull's life for Nyagak. And so once they accept what they've done, they, they accept the deal. But when Nyagak returns to Rial and is like about to grab her hand, Rial chooses to save Bol instead and kill the Apath or Apath. And so they live happily ever after, as you could be, carrying the many lives of those they left behind in South to Sudan and the many people, women, men, children who died on your way to a new life. It's pretty heavy, but that's that's the movie. That's Remy Weeks's his house. I want to get one thing out of the way right at the top is this movie is I'm always looking out for scripts and movies that make use of their budget, meaning that like uh, just something that I've heard is when producers and readers out there are looking at scripts, they're thinking about how this movie could be made. And so if you're writing this grand space epic with a million ships and giant Star Wars sized space battles and stuff, you're probably not going to get your indie picture made because it's got like a $5 million budget to start. Whereas a script like this that has one location, essentially, one location, the house. There's some like ancillary secondary locations, but most of the movie takes place in the house and specifically in that like um, like <laughs> kitchen multi-purpose room, whatever you would call it. And I think it's so freaking clever. Um, Remy went out of his way to uh, give her a compliment in an Esquire article. Uh, in an interview he gave to Esquire, he said, our head of location, Georgette Turner, was amazing. She spent time with the community telling them what we were doing and doing events in the lead up and after the shoot as well, which is so cool. I, I learned so much in my research of this, of like 
obviously the credits at the end of a movie tell you there's a it takes a million people to make these but the minutia of like oh the the head of location the head of location interacted with the people who lived on that street and set up like fun little events to make it seem like they weren't uh invading their homes or at least their street i thought that was pretty cool but what she does, what Georgette Turner does with that one room, I don't know how much that's Georgette Turner's credit or if credit should go to production designer Jacqueline Abrahams for the way that they use the walls in this room. It's kind of like an ongoing symbol for their deteriorating psyche, which is that every time we see the room, it well, first we see it, it's a sty. It's got like pizza boxes and cockroaches and stuff. Then when they strip down the wallpaper, it looks very different, a totally different room. And then when he starts hammering, when Bull starts hammering holes into the wall, it's a completely different space that feels so much less safe. It's not a room anymore. Now it's this like kill box with all of these holes. I was very impressed with that. I also want to mention the um, different directions that I expected the movie to take while I was watching it. Um, I totally thought the necklace that Rial gets off of the doll of Nyagax was going to last until the end of the film. And that was going to be like when Bol is burning all of their possessions. I totally thought they were going to like overlook the necklace or Rial was going to uh, cover it up or hide it somehow. And that was going to continually be like, oh no, what's happening? What's happening? And then when they finally burned the necklace, like that was going to save the day. But I was really surprised when they burnt it immediately in that scene. And I was, I was more drawn in. Uh, it was funny, I talked to my dad, who also watched it, and he thought that the house was going to have a ghost that was going to help Bol and Rial somehow stand up to, um, like, outside racist aggressors. I don't really know where his head was at, but... And then Derek, my fiancé, thought that the ghost was going to be a past white homeowner who's racist and wants the house back, um, and it was going to be some kind of fight, an internal fight like that. I got to give credit for setting up so many directions that it could be for so many three different people who watched this were so engaged at the same moments that we all thought we knew where the movie was going, which is great. But to subvert that and then go, here is where your expectations were going and surprise is done so well and so tastefully in this beautiful balancing act between horror and drama that ultimately makes me think that this wouldn't be a great pick for like, hey, let's all get together and watch a scary movie. Like, it's more of an analytical examination of, you know, immigration and survivor's guilt. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I just wanted to mention one thing. Um, it's something that I brought up with other guests on the show, but this question of authenticity and that, like, just because you have an idea doesn't necessarily mean you should be the one to tell that idea. If you have an idea for a story you should consider if your voice is the best to tell that story. And I don't want to use any specific examples right off the bat because I can't think of any at the moment, but I want to hold this movie up on a pedestal for its authenticity. I am interested to know the story. It's a story by Felicity Evans and Toby Venables. I would love to know how much of their experience made it through uh, Remy's writing and directing process of this. But he had one quote in that Esquire interview that I thought was really great. He said, 
I wanted to tell a contemporary story of people moving to the UK at this moment in time. And being from a mixed background myself, I wanted to have some kind of mirroring of the kinds of conversations I've had growing up in the UK, says Remy. South Sudan seemed like a really important thing that's happening right now, and also something in terms of the conversations I heard from various African and Caribbean communities I'd grown up with that I felt like I could connect with. So thankfully, Remy here, Remy is writing from a place of authenticity that he's experienced. He's experienced conversations growing up in the UK that bore themes similar to the ones that he was able to apply to this movie. And further to that, Bol and Rial are speaking Dinka throughout the film. And this is why I love movies that push me outside of my comfort zone, because this is not anything I knew about. And I'm not ashamed to admit that I don't know anything. So I learned that the Dinka people are a nihilotic group of people. Nihilotic refers to people who are native to the countries and cities that, that exist along the shore of the Nile. Nilotic, Nile, people who live on the Nile. The Dinka people are a Nilotic ethnic group which is native to South Sudan. So there you go. They're speaking Dinka, and uh, I was surprised to learn that Minute Bull is Dinkan from South Sudan. Anyway, let's get into the segment that I've been waiting for, Screaming Themies. Man, I had a field day with this one. So right off the bat, the first theme that jumped out to me when I was done with the movie was survivor's guilt. And... I know there are other themes. I'm going to get to them. It's okay. Calm down. Relax. But the idea that it should have been me. Bull and Rial made it to the UK. They're ready to start their new lives, ostensibly. They made it. They did the hard part of existing in a war-torn country, getting enough together to be able to leave, to be, ah, God, that's awful, to be able to afford the life-threatening journey that it is from South Sudan to the UK, to the promised land. But in addition to all of that, there's another toll of the people who didn't make it, of all the people who were on the trucks or trying to get onto the trucks when Bol and Rial were lucky enough to get on them at the last second, or the people on the boat that capsized and drowned, including Nagak. The idea that it should have been me, that survivor's guilt, I I was sitting there and I was trying to put myself in that position of like, how do you go on? How do you, how do you really move on from, from that kind of, oh my God, they did everything right. That could have been me. It should have been me. I should not be alive. They should instead. And really that theme comes to a head with that flashback reveal of Rial in the cupboard in that classroom and seeing all of her friends massacred as we pan away. Oh my god, I love I love the sequence of that. And I love how we linger on Rial and we're wondering, what is she seeing? And then as it pans over, we see the gravity of what's happening and we realize that we're in flashback and this is a nightmare. It's a nightmare. But that idea that it should have been me, that Rial should be dead, that someone else should have fit in that cupboard. Not enough people, not more than one person could have fit in that cupboard, and Rial was the one to be in there. And so they carry this guilt with them when they were in the detention center and when they uh, make it to this new home. They carry that guilt, and they're totally unable to face it and deal with it. And it isn't, it isn't until the very end, and I, I, I think I wrote, the, <laughs> I wrote the line down here somewhere, but... Um, the idea that they, they couldn't move on until they accepted it. 
they accepted that they are alive and whether or not they they feel that they should be here they are here it's their house <laughs> the apath gives him the very option of it should have been me well here's the offer it could have been you you can die right now and yagak will survive and it will have been like the thing you wanted the thing you wrestle with every night could become a reality and that awful temptation i mean what what kind of parent wouldn't do oh my god i don't want to think about a parent who has a a child who passed away and if they were given the real metaphysical option to say you will die and they will replace you and have a wonderful lifelong a wonderful long life i feel like of course you would take that and the fact that they don't at the end is the biggest triumph for both real and bull i mean Rial's ultimately the one with the agency to make the decision, but Bol accepts it, just like Rial accepts that Nyagak's gone. And even this, like, hocus-pocus magic evil promise isn't going to make this right. Even if it brings her back, like, just the the other guilt of, of like, okay, yeah, we chose Ball. We chose for him to die, and now Nyagak's alive, and she's dancing around. And I would love to know, like, what the plan was, even if she did, like, okay, let's say Ball's gone, and Nyagak shows up, and Matt Smith comes by to just do a visit. And is like, oh, hey, where's Ball? Oh, I don't know. I guess he's gone. By the way, here's another child that you had no idea and didn't even register, and she's not on your books. Oops. <laughs> All right, let's move on to this next theme of trauma and the acceptance of trauma that, like I hit on before, living with the weight of all those who lost their lives, basically so you could get here, that without them, without their sacrifices, you know, who knows what would have happened to you. And so it's put so succinctly right at the very end. Uh, Ball says, your ghosts follow you. They never leave. They live with you. It's when I let them in, I could start to face myself. And it's funny, I, I haven't seen this theme hit uh, so cleanly since the Babadook, which I think was like back in 2014. But the idea that you don't conquer your demon at the end of the movie, you don't win, you don't uh, purge it and exercise it and live happily ever after. You live with it. You you don't like nurture it necessarily, but it's like, it's like meditation and CBT cognitive behavioral therapy. You can't control your thoughts and those thoughts of guilt are going to happen. They're never going to stop. They are the ghosts that live with you. It's how you choose to react to those thoughts and the acceptance that those thoughts will never go away. Those thoughts in the movie are, symbolized by the ghosts, the physical ghosts that are trying to exact their revenge because that's what Bol and Rial feel like they deserve. They feel like they deserve to be vengeanced upon by a bunch of ghosts. And it isn't until the very end that they accept the trauma that they've gone through and caused that they're able to see the ghosts and for what they are, which are a form of family that is living in the house with them forever. And that's what that final shot is when they pan around and we see that there are hundreds of people in, in the house crowding around them. All those people that they accepted are lost so that they could be here. And it's such a complex theme that I, I, I admit 
I have no access to. I've I've lived a pretty cushiony life. I haven't seen violent death in my life. I'm very grateful for that. I haven't had my family members ripped away from me or or God killed. I haven't had to escape like a gunfight and like run for cover in the middle of of like walking home from school or or I've never been I've never been conscripted into the military against my will or or forced into into labor like the things that happen around the world that force people to to put everything everything on the line because it's be- because even dying trying to get out of there would be better than accepting the hell that they're in and we get some like some little hints and stuff at, at the at the conflict but it's not the it's not the greater message of the movie but that there's there's a lot of infighting there's a lot of infighting everywhere and it's so it's it's human nature but the idea that south sudan even like the real the real world is that there are a great many tribes and it's almost impossible to count them because of all of the subdivisions and subdivisions within those subdivisions of all of those tribes. And that's not to say that they're all speaking different dialects, but they do have all very different, like, it's like, it's like the different religions that we have here, I, I imagine. Once again, I'm speculating. I don't have this experience. But I have to imagine it's a lot like, you know, being an Episcopalian versus being a Lutheran versus being a... Uh, some other bullshit religion. Sorry, but <laughs> that that as minor as the differences are, they they are what make you you. They're what give you belonging, and they're what make you feel like you have a place. Now I can move on to the next one of what really is the main theme: immigration and assimilation. Now I know immigration, obviously moving to a new country, but I had never considered the dilemma of assimilating or choosing to assimilate and how much you choose to assimilate into a brand new culture. Another quote from Remy Weeks, this time from nofilmschool.com. He said, growing up in London as a person of color, a conversation we had in our community was of assimilation and how much of yourself do you give up or let go to give in? That's the crux of the story put very well. But he expands on that in the Esquire article. I think this quote's much better. He says, I feel like in many places in the West, you're pulled in two very different directions. There's part of you that really wants to assimilate and fit in and to not draw attention to yourself. But there's another part of you that feels very suspicious that the place doesn't particularly feel welcoming to you. So you find yourself pulling away again, wanting to rebel from that and to stick to your roots and stick out proudly You're often torn in these two directions and battle within yourself, especially when you're trying to find a place in a new country. You find yourself always struggling to find a balance. And I can't think of two better scenes in this movie, both with Rial, the first one being when she approaches the black teenagers to ask them for directions, when she's wandering around the confusing, like, back alleyways of, of... ostensibly london this is supposed to be london this is the uk but it's not double decker buses and buckingham palace and big ben everywhere it's it's this tiny crappy little alleyway no offense i just mean that it's supposed it's not what immigrants believe the uk to be 
And I feel like it happens with America, too. Uh, just with with a lot of countries, the the logical fallacies that this is a country that always gives people a chance and you can always make it in America and you can always pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I saw it in my like kids' movies growing up, in um, American Tale. Uh, there are no cats in America. Of course there are cats in America. But that distills the kind of lies these people tell themselves. Because it's got to be better. It's got to be better than here. And it is. As, as awful as the situations are and as humiliating the, the process is, it is better. It is better for, for Rial and Bull. But when Rial approaches those black teenagers, I felt such relief. And Remy, I'm sure he did this on purpose, but you feel such relief when she's wandering around and she feels totally lost and she finds these people who are black. And God, I was so I was so hoping they would show her any respect. But they're assholes. They're assholes. And they keep they say stuff like go back to Africa. UK's for the English. Like she's a person. And she doesn't belong, even though she's black. She doesn't belong. Even though she looks like them, she doesn't belong because she's not from here. And it's it's told so well when Riala is getting like a blood sample or something and the nurse uh, <laughs> trying to break the tension compliments her scarring on her on her face. And Rial chooses in that moment to correct her. Instead, Rial in that moment has a choice. And this is the assimilation decision that in that moment she has a choice to laugh and go, oh, yeah, they are. I like your necklace and just assimilate into the niceties society where you compliment each other and things are surface level and it's great. But in that moment, she chooses not to assimilate. She chooses to hold on to what makes her so proudly real, which is unfortunately this horrible past, but she accepts it and she wears it like a goddamn badge of honor that she has those scars because she saw her family butchered. <laughs> and the poor nurse is like, oh God, I'm so sorry. But what she explains is she says, real says, there are two tribes where I come from and they're killing each other. Depending on which tribe you come from, you mark yourself. I mark myself with both. She's explaining that she survives. She survives life by not belonging anywhere, by choosing not to belong to one side or the other. Even in her home country, she felt like she didn't belong. Rial's never belonged. Inversely, we've got Bol. And they talk about this at one point, but how he begs people in the UK and how he idolizes them and how all he wants is for them to accept him. So I really just have one question for the end of this podcast, and it is, why is the film called His House? Now, I have some, I have some thoughts on it. I, I think, firstly, it's refer- the his is referring to Bowl, that it's his house it's not the ghosts and it's not nyagaks and it's not guilt and it's not the governments and it's nobody's it's his house that they fought to earn it it's hard to defend but it feels like the most obvious one the alternative you know is his house is referring to the apath that it's like it's 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 his house that yeah you have it but he lives in the walls and he appears to you in the form of your dead daughter with a really creepy mask. I love the mask that they give her. 
or is it his house? You know, like the government's. Like, it's not your house. It's not my house. It's not your house. It's his house. The external, like, third-person pronoun ripping the possession away from you and saying that you are in someone else's house. I, I can't I can't choose I can't figure out if any one of them is the is the obvious contender, but it's a it's an interesting title nonetheless. And with that, let's rate this movie on a scale of one to five thumbs, one being the worst and five being the best. I'm going to give Remy Weeks directorial debut, feature directorial debut, four thumbs. And I'm going to tell you why. This is a great movie. It's paced in a way that I was never bored and I never wanted to like look at my phone or see how much time was left in the movie, which is a huge plus for horror movies. I feel like it's a very difficult thing, especially for this horror drama to not be dry at certain moments. But I was in it the entire time. And I feel like a lot of that goes to the director, but most of it goes toward our leads, I gotta say, to the actors who played Bol and Rial. Bol played by Sope Durisu, and Rial played by Wunmi Masaku. So good, the two of them, their chemistry together. I believed every second, every second of the movie that they're in love and that they know each other and that they harbor some kind of horrible shared trauma from their past that they just can't let go. And all you want, all you want is for them to just like, Go get coffee or something. I just, oh, but that's that's hitting right on the themes, though, of assimilation. Like when they get their little care package and it's full of UK food. Like, of course, they're not going to have South Sudanese food. God, that idea, that idea of losing your identity and choosing what to let go to be accepted. Uh, the closest thing I, I have to talk about that is, you know, I'm black, but... I'm also white in Korean and I almost never identify as black and with 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 the way things are moving with Black Lives Matter and stuff I've felt more pressure than ever to identify as black and be proud of that which I am but it feels it feels a little bit like what what am I what am I letting go of to be to be accepted by that and and Ultimately, it's a, it's a completely different experience. I'm grateful that I don't know what it's like to, to have my sister be kidnapped in the middle of the night, and I, that's the last I ever saw of her for the rest of my life. Like, the realities of, of, of these countries suffering, I'm grateful. But I think about that a lot. I think about how, like, what perspective that must give you and how you... If you're in line at the DMV and the woman in front of you is just taking forever and it seems like you're never going to go, you're probably not going to think that's so bad if your home was burned when you were a child or your parents were stolen from you in the night or something awful. Just, ah, uh, that's his house. <laughs> I have to award these thumbs. I'm going to give those four thumbs. I'm going to give one to Wunmi Masaku, the direct, uh, the actor who played Rial, she was phenomenal. I love her monologues. I love the the weight she carries in her eyes when she's looking at Ball and Ball, played by Sope Durisu. I got to give him a thumb. Fantastic, amazing performance. And of course, Nyagak, so freaking creepy. I got to give her a thumb, played by Malaika Abigaba fantastic performance super scary i would i would love to see all three of these people in more stuff 
And then my final thumb I got to give to the writer-director, Remy Weeks. I am so excited to see what his next project is. Like Ari Aster, I, I, I want to follow this guy and just see movie after movie after movie what he does. I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow him. <laughs> And uh, just like you should follow me at the gory days because this episode's over and you're reaching for that pause button or that skip button because the episode's over. But why don't I make it a little bit easier for you? Stay scary out there. Beat you to it. The gory days.